a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey. Didn't see you there. Oh, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I still can't see you. <laughs> you can just hear me. Because of podcast. Yeah. That makes sense. Contrary to popular belief, we are not in the same room. We experience this just as a live podcast with each other, just in each other's ears. True. Sometimes I forget that I'm not just listening to a good podcast when you guys are talking. I was like, oh, I can actually contribute. This is weird. Um, Do you think it would surprise people to know that we don't record with video on either? (laughs) Should we let out the, the, the cat out of the bag? The cat is out of the bag. Yeah. I've heard, I've had a lot of people say like, oh, I thought you guys were in the same room because they just like happened to listen to an episode where we didn't mention that. Huh. Wow. So props to us. Shout out to you guys for thinking we're fooling you. Look at that. Joke's on you. I will say that, I mean, we all have great setups. Our, uh, our patrons have allowed us some income to like boost your guys' setups there in your homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, thank you. I don't know if we've shouted that out on the podcast. We have in the Discord, but... uh. We sound so much better because of our patrons who allowed us to buy better equipment Yes, yeah. from their donations. So thank you. It's Shout true. out to you guys. Also, I, I edit like this thing is my baby. I love editing this show to make it sound natural and normal and all that. So I'll take that as a compliment. If I can fool people that we're in the same room just by Absolutely. the way it's all edited together, that makes me feel nice, warm and fuzzy. And that's saying something because Stephen doesn't take compliments well. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> I just made, I just like, <laughs> I claimed it as a compliment before I took it, I guess. <laughs> I love that you took that as a compliment. Stephen doesn't take compliments well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. What are you guys drinking this week? <laughs> oh, me, me, me. I'm going first. I'm going first. I, you guys would be so proud of me. I made a green tea Arnold Palmer. Whoa. Delicious. Yeah. I wanted to kind of. Green tea is a great choice for that. That's what I was thinking. I was tossing up between doing like a regular Arnold Palmer with like mint or a green tea. And I decided to do the green tea and it was definitely the better choice. Oh, hands down. Very nice. Yeah. I have, I have no idea where this thing came from, but, uh. From Port Angeles, Washington, Northwest Soda Works, I have the Bedford's Ginger Beer that I'm sipping on right now. It's delightful. Ooh. I love it when you find stuff that you know where it's like made not far away. Like I know where Port Angeles is. But also, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I bought it. I don't know why it was in my fridge. It's a mystery. That's the weirdest part. Well, speaking of things I just found in my fridge, uh, like we just got done with an episode and I was drinking an alcohol and a coffee. I was like, I need something a little bit more relaxed. So I go to my fridge. I see I have a little bit of milk left. And I was like, I just feel like I need like a little bit of garnish in there. So I like have this giant uh, container from Costco of uh, like garnish. Uh, It's just like minced garlic. So I just like whipped up some garlic milk and it feels very nutritious. Um, I don't drink it a lot. Um, I don't think I've ever tried to pull a a prank drink on you guys before because there's no way you can tell what i'm drinking that's true is garlic milk a like prank i could be just drinking garlic milk for all you know like there wouldn't be no knowing i was truly sure. worried for a second i really was yeah <laughs> i'm not drinking garlic milk <laughs> okay but i looked in my fridge and i thought about it and i thought it was funny i put my trust in you i trusted you <laughs> i trusted you <laughs> If you haven't listened to the trust episode, last episode, go listen to it. Um, no, I am <laughs> drinking though. I'm drinking a V8 protein uh, that is berry acai flavored. Oh, um, I don't know if it is pronounced that way still because they did not put the apostrophe accento marks in there. So, oh, 
That oh. might change the pronunciation, but it's delicious. Otherwise, it's Akai, right? Yeah, and it, it, it is arguably ways. better than garlic milk. So, yeah, I I don't. I really hope so. I, I I think you would be hard pressed to find someone who would debate you on whether if garlic milk was better. So huh. yeah, I know vampires would definitely say it's not. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I trust that. Thank you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, call me a vampire okay. then, because I would hate that too. Exactly, exactly. In the same way, a wooden stake to my heart would also kill me. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, vi- vampires. That is that is a vulnerability that a lot of us have, not just the vamps. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot. All of us. Not a lot of us. All of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wild. Anyway, all right. We're in a okay. good mood, and. Uh, it's very, it's just very nice. We have a question coming to us today from our Patreon group. One of our newer members, Sarah, had a question for us that none of the three of us have heard this yet. So we have no idea what the episode's going to be about. And it could be uh, about garlic milk for all we know. Let's let's all find oh, out together, well. shall we? Yes. Make sure everyone's sitting down and let's get ready. A topic I've been asking myself a lot about lately is denominations and why they even still exist. Why can't people who all believe in Jesus but differ on non-salvation issues worship and learn and live together? I understand that every individual has a different tradition and a personal theology, but is it worth all the division when we'll all be united on the other side of life? (laughs) Ah, I love this question so much. Yeah, that's a banger. (laughs) Oh, man. Right in the gut. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. Initial thoughts. Go. Mm. Emily, why why aren't Methodists also Catholics, also Lutherans? But we're not even, like, we're not even. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. With everything that's happening, even just with the Methodist church. I mean, y'all. So I've been having, I've been teaching for four weeks back in May. I was teaching a Methodism 101 class where we talked about John Wesley and the history of Methodism and tying it into the whole split and the schism and LGBTQ rights and everything that's been happening with the Book of Discipline in the United Methodist Church. And one of the things that one of my uh, members who was attending the class had asked was, why does this matter? And one... I thought the question was so good, but like so many of the peers like looked at this person like, what do you mean? And like they were not necessarily jumping down their throat, but they were defending, you know, why we like should be inclusive and why like this split is so important. But I think what the person was asking was like, why does this matter in the sense of why do we have so many denominations? (laughs) Like, why can't we all just like come together in a space and worship and like still hold on to the integrity of our own personal beliefs, but manage to come together. And I thought the question was so good. And so Sarah, this question is still on my brain and yeah, um, it just, Oh yeah. Emily, I don't, I don't know if we've talked about it much, but so you are in the, the group, the United Methodist denomination now. Yes. That was essentially like your, Gosh, I'm speaking in in-group, out-group terms by habit or by nature or by I can't help it. But your group was not the one that wanted the split. Is that correct? Correct. Like the the what is now known as the global Methodist denomination was the group that wanted to take their ball and go home with it, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. That feels, I mean, th- this feels like the most immediate example of yet another denomination is formed, mm-hmm. right? I basically described it to the class as, Here's, here are two potato salads now before us. The only difference is one has salt and one doesn't. But like they're literally the recipes are the exact same, but there's this one thing that makes it different. So for people who want their potato salad a little more salty, mm. enjoy. And for those of you who don't, enjoy. But like, why can't we just have like, a batch of potato salad and then people add salt if they want. Why do we have to have already pre-established mm. potato salads? It just So it's it does it like it hurts greatly. Yeah. I mean like I don't I don't think the three of us have 
I don't know if we've ever given you explicitly the space for it, but like, what else are you feeling around this? Like, it hurts certainly, but like, what what is like processing the change felt like for the last few weeks? Honestly, it's one of those things where I remember at the special general conference of 2019 where they passed the traditionalist plan, basically saying keep the language in the Book of Discipline the same, where they do not condone LGBTQ lifestyle as it, you know, basically is kind of phrased. Sure. And they are not welcoming or inclusionary to LGBTQ clergy. Experiencing that whole whirlwind and all those emotions, I'm now seeing it basically come to fruition where it's like, here are the the individuals who won, you know, like they were wanting to leave from the beginning, but they ensured mm. that the traditionalist plan was the plan that made it through. And now the traditionalist plan is what we have. And yet they still decided, well, we're done. We're going to still do our own thing. You guys have fun. And it's just one of those things where it's like, why couldn't we have just then changed the book of discipline? And you guys still could have created this new denomination that you were wanting to create from the beginning. Like, mm. Yeah. It yeah, it's like here's the nail in the coffin and then we're going to just add more nails that are unnecessary. And it just kind of sucks. You know, and mm. but now now we're at a position where we want to change the book of discipline and we want to have the legislation forward to having the language changed. So And you probably have the votes then, for it now, right? Now that all those people have left. Right, or leaving and and now, you know, we could have a space where LGBTQ clergy can fill the pulpit and feel welcomed and they're not going against the book of discipline, you know, like huh. <laughs> they don't have to hide who they are anymore in the sense of what's legal and not legal in the church. And like this split and like this question, I think is still going to be brought up long after the global Methodist church has been established and, you know, is that's the thing, like they're fully recognized nomination now, but there's still kinks that they're working out as far as their book of discipline and their legislation and everything. But they are a recognized denomination. That's so much work they've created for themselves. It's so much work. That's <laughs> yeah. Over. OK, so in a way, especially I feel like a denominational split happening over inclusion of LGBTQ clergy members, right? Like, it's not just the question of affirming versus not affirming in general, correct? It's more specific. It's more. It, it's that and and specifically LGBTQ clergy. Yeah. So in a way, uh, because I, I think I tend to be a person who very much agrees with Sarah's energy of like, why? Why, why do we need to split over something like this? But in this case, in particular, like I understand actually why the split happens because or well, so like personally, I can't inhabit the mind space that would want to go start the global Methodist church and leave the United Methodist Church. But in a way, I part of me wonders if everyone now remaining in the United Methodist Church can like breathe a little easier now because. Like I said, I guess you have the votes. I don't know exactly how your whole structure works, but like mm -hmm. all of the sudden, this group versus that group became a lot more safe for someone who wants to pursue ordination or someone who just wants to exist inside a community and not feel like they need to apologize for their right. gender or sexuality. So like in a way, I almost understand why the... why this denominational split almost makes it more clear like as a signal to people to say whether you would be welcome or would not. Right. And like, while I agree, it's not necessarily like a salvation issue, like the way Sarah talked about it or like the necessities versus the uh, like essentials versus non-essentials, like in the, in terms of salvation or whatever, like this, I think this split does serve to kind of embody like the very complicated nature of like, Maybe it didn't need to happen, but at the same time, the clarity now that mm -hmm. is contrasted between the two signals to our 
LGBTQ friends, family, siblings, that they are safe in your denomination yeah. over and against the other option now, right? Well, and what it's interesting because like people think this is just a very recent thing where, oh, because of this general conference at 2019, well, no, this has been brought up at general conference since 1972. So we're going on 50 years that the United Methodist Church has been grappling with this idea of inclusion of LGBTQ clergy and language in the Book of Discipline. And so it's almost finally like, it's almost like if you had a wound that was almost healed, but then it like just reopened again, you know, now it's like the wound is healing and I'm almost waiting for like the other shoe to drop. And when is it going to reopen again? It's like, you almost don't believe it, you know? Yeah. And I think you don't believe it because of how it happened and how it happened was here's yet again, another denomination who has a very unoriginal acronym it, wait are they the gmc now yes general motors company yes <laughs> <laughs> amazing okay <laughs> yeah interesting so if this is uh someone's first time listening like i am not methodist but i like think it's fascinating kind of seeing this play out in real time like i'm honestly not paying a ton of attention to it and emily you've been like a major source for me and like learning about this but i think sarah's question brings up a really good point about like why does this keep happening Like, Mm -hmm. yes, this is like currently happening in the Methodist church. And it's kind of interesting to like watch it happen, like especially because I think that we tend to have an association with denominations splitting like back at the Reformation or like the Great Awakenings, Uh, like when there wasn't as much awareness around like different theological issues or like disagreements. um, It was like much more likely to like label someone as heretical and just like write them off completely or burn them at the stake. And so like, I do think it's really interesting to watch one play out in modern time. But to her point, like, why does it keep happening even still? Like if you had asked me uh, like five or six years ago, I was really into the idea of church unity and churches coming together under the same, like I wanted to say umbrella because I do think that there's a way for denominations to like coexist in a way that's very uplifting. Like, for instance, I'm reading through the book Columbine right now. I don't remember the author off the top of my head, but it's like considered the work on Columbine. It's a very thick, detail-heavy book. It's fascinating. Uh, but one of the things that he brought up in there is that the churches in that community in Littleton early on decided very quickly, well, I should back up. There were some churches that were primarily evangelical that were very heavy on the Satan and the enemy rhetoric in that they saw the shooting and the failed bombing at Columbine as primarily an attack of the enemy. And those boys were led astray by the enemy. And like, this is primarily a spiritual problem. And there was a larger group that was primarily mainline that the pastors met together and very quickly decided we are not going to view it that way. Like, the community is hurting. The community needs to be loved. Like, regardless of how we like theologize differently about different things or death or spiritual attack, like this is not what the community needs right now. And it was really interesting to like see him like detail all of the happenings and like how obviously the way that a spiritual community like banded together in the wake of tragedy was like a, a part of those happenings. And to me, that is a good example of like churches can find unity and common ground, especially in the midst of tragedy, where arguably it's like probably the most important. And I think that that's a beautiful example, but I I don't know what it would look like for denominations to like over the long term coexist, but like still find that common ground with each other in a way that was like still community centric. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I think a lot of denominations coexist and like recognize each other as Christians now. For instance, in America, there's not a lot of like Protestant versus Catholic. It's usually more like topic based. Mm. Do you think, because you said church unity and it immediately brought me back to this idea I was just speaking to about the clarity of it. And like, you know, the organization like churchclarity.org or whatever. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Literally Mm -hmm. exists just so that like churches are rated based on how clear their stance is on 
LGBTQ inclusion. And the project is essentially centered around, it's not even we're trying to make a value judgment on what your stance is. We just want you to be clear about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Just but, be upright, forefront. Yeah. But do you think that that becomes, because I, I think a, a lot of people would hear like, sure, clarity is a good thing, but I imagine a lot of people would feel that it's clarity at the expense of unity because it's just another thing that we can divide over. Mm-hmm. So the way I think about like churches reconciling or uniting in some way, I'm like, my mind is almost tempted to think about it in terms of like, the more united you are, the the more like squishy everything you're about has to become. And I also think that's the wrong answer, but that's also what I still think. And I don't know what the alternative is. Cause I think yeah. that's just, that has been how I've observed human nature through denominational splits or, or even the choices I make to go to the denominations I have attended. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of get how it happens in a way. Like uh, Stephen, I like your point about you kind of sacrifice some unity for clarity and vice versa sometimes. Yeah. Right. Like, Clearly, at some point, groups of people have seen theological issues as deal breakers. Yeah. And the ones who have left are often the ones who say, I can no longer be a part of your group because you are fundamentally believing something different than me that I view as important that we cannot coexist mm-hmm. with each other. That's, that's why I left my last church. Like, I have specifics on that, right? Right. Yeah. I know exactly how that feels. But like, okay... I haven't really thought about this one. Do you feel like when an individual leaves a church, it's often over multiple things versus like a denomination split is usually over a single issue? Oh, interesting. Because in my experience, that that's kind of true. Like there was, it, it's not just like a single thing that I do not attend church over. You know what I mean? Right. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. I feel like that might just be a symptom of like when you want a coalition of people to act together, you kind of just have to like more or less build a single issue platform mm. to like a- animate. Cause I'm sure even within the global Methodist church now, there is a wide spectrum of opinions on what happens during the Eucharist or like what baptism is for, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's going to be differences, but if you want to build Gosh, I was about to say build an army. I'm really trying to use less like combative, like warlike language, but sure. But like, yeah, when you want to build a coalition, it's usually you kind of have to identify yourself under one flag, as it were. That's why we see the the diversity of all the denominations we do is because every single one of those fractures then just kind of is like a fractal out to okay, now the global Methodist Church have what they wanted in this specific case, but now. When does the global spit split with the, I don't know, make up a word, because now they're fighting about pedo baptism versus adult baptism or something, you know? It happens one at a time, is what I'm saying. I think I'm agreeing with you that, like, when denominations do that, it's because of a single issue, and I think that's just the nature of getting people to work on the same team usually needs an animating focus. I think it's unfortunate, too, that when those do happen... The Methodist Church right now is a great example, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on your view of this. Uh, I think that it's really easy for the, the group A, that group B is splintering off from. I think it's really easy for group A to argue that group B is putting themselves under a different flag than Christianity when it's over a single issue. They're like, totally. nope, you're caring more about that one thing than the gospel or than mm. Jesus. Versus, I think it's often the case that group B sees itself as having a fuller understanding of what it means to be Christian. And they're saying like, we feel like Jesus is leading us this direction, whatever it is. And if you group a do not see us as coexisting, then we can't be here. Like, I think it's often like a denial of power Mm. from what I've seen, which to be fair, it does happen on the individual level as well. Like I think that a lot of people often feel pressured to leave themselves, even if it's not over a single issue, 
when they feel like there's no longer room for them in the conversation. If there was only one church in your town, would you go to it? That's tough. That is tough. I mean, yeah, there's a, hmm, there's something psychological that would happen, I would assume, because there's hundreds of churches where I live and I don't go to a single one of them. I was just thinking that. (laughs) I am the unchurched. Reach me. And then I'm sure, you know, the follow-up would be, well, which denomination, right? Like, what church is it? Yeah. That's Uh, why I didn't say. (laughs) Because does it matter? I'm sure you've heard this joke before because I feel like I've heard it in so many sermons. Have you heard of the one guy who, uh, he was a pilot up in the sky and he saw uh, a help me insignia on an island. And so he like landed the plane and there's this guy on an island living on the beach. And the guy's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like I've been stranded here for for years and uh you're the first pilot i've seen that's flown overhead and seen my help sign and the guy's like great like let's get you out of here and they go back to his his hut that he had built for himself and there was uh two other huts next to the the living hut and so the pilot was like wait are there more people here like do we need to get and the guy's like no i'm the only one here and the pilot goes well what are what's that house next to yours and he goes oh that's my church I, i i worship here i'm a man of faith and the pilot goes, well, wait, what, well, what's the other one? And the guy goes, oh, that's where I used to attend. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you heard that one before? No. No. That's funny. What's funny is I feel like I've heard that from like... the pulpit multiple times. <laughs> of course. Of course. Wow. I think it's really funny because like, it does kind of argue that a lot of that splitting fundamentally happens on an individual level and in some ways is inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that uh, I'm, I think I'm reaching the point where there, I, there's like a very um, subversive part of me that does want to be a part of church because mm-hmm. I do believe mm-hmm. that institutions can be changed from the inside out. And I do think that diversity of thought is very important. And I think that churches are often not great at dealing with people inside of their walls who disagree with them, even if it's only over a couple small things. And so if I was, let's say if I was alone in a town where there was one church, there's a part of me that would like want to be involved just out of spite, (laughs) like just to like be a voice in that community and like be a part of community despite maybe disagreeing with them about things. Mm. But like, how far would I go? Like, I've I've been in that place before. Like, how long could I sustain that? I don't know. Yeah, how long could you sustain going to that one church that's in the whole town before you go start your own church? <laughs> right. Hmm. I don't know how to answer your question, Emily, because again, like, with the abundance of choice, I go to zero. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I would go to one. But maybe it's like... <sighs> analysis paralysis like i don't know which church is going to be best for me so i won't go to any but if it's like this is this is it so okay emily i thought of another answer to your question unless you have an answer to it no i want to hear your answer my other answer is i feel like a lot of churches do have that mindset like in most towns save maybe like the big cities but even then it's like kind of restricted to like certain parts of town each denomination usually has one church right like there's one American Baptist church and one Southern Baptist church and one now United Methodist and one global Methodist church. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, like most churches do have that model of like, yeah, we have one church in most towns that you can go to. Right. Yeah. Um, like it's just not seen as an option to go to other churches. Like even if you hold that they are the Christian still, you know, mm. Emily, do you think church unity is possible? Oof. <laughs> um i really don't know and i think Mm. the optimist in me would say yes absolutely um but realistically i really don't know because we've had denominations for so long that i think it would be really hard to let that go Mm. like it they've just been systems that, that have been a part of us for a very long time and now like we're seeing even more and like the gmc umc example is a perfect one because like there's going to be entire generations where they didn't know that the gmc was 
no, like that it didn't exist at one point, you know, like they're going to learn that it was created, but they're not ever going to know like an experience for themselves. Oh, yeah, I was a part of that rift, you know, I I don't know. Mm. And if so, OK, if if the answer is yes, it is possible. What does it take to get there? That is my question. I think that is part of Sarah's question, too, is thinking about essentials versus non-essentials. Yeah. And that is so hard because to convince a united church, like, that requires so much individual buy-in to agree what is essential and non-essential. And I think to Josh's point earlier is, like, some non-essential things do become kind of, like, the final straw or the non-negotiable, right? That That is so challenging to even start to ravel out, I think. Well, I, I mean, like, to... even if you wanted to start with Jesus Christ, divine, not divine. <laughs> Resurrection, <laughs> historically happened or metaphorically happened. Like, that already. Yeah, what's essential for salvation? That, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> what's essential for salvation? Can we agree on anything? Baptism. Like... You like, ooh, yeah, all these things that are basically like cornerstones, right? I mean, like, I was taught growing up that there are four pillars of Christianity anthropology, and that man is always sinful and always will be because of original sin, and we're wretched and depraved. Um, Christology, that basically Jesus Christ is the antithesis of mankind being perfect and no original sin, it's all original goodness. And then I was given inerrancy. And the Trinity. And I've definitely, I've definitely let the pillar of inerrancy fall. So like already to someone I'm splitting off of what they consider essential. I'm iffy on the Trinity if I'm honest, but that's a different episode. Maybe you're not. Yeah. Okay. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. Here's a word from one of our sister shows, Keller's Couch. I think that putting yourself in those in those places where the outcome is unknown it really fosters a whole different kind of creativity yeah because it you know it forces you to use a different part of your brain which is awesome yeah you know the the complacency you know can breed a lot of contempt and in in a creative outlet especially like music um you know when you're resting on your laurels it's very hard for you to progress or feel like you're able to progress and Mm -hmm. You know, pushing yourself in a different direction or, or, you know, you know, it just makes you think differently, even if you don't adapt to it right away. Totally. Josh, you know how the first miracle of Jesus is pretty famously him turning water into wine at a wedding? Yeah, I mean, that's if he existed. But yes, continue. Well, I also find in scripture that we are told that we are empowered to do greater things even than this. And I think he probably meant turning water into delicious coffee. Okay, sure. But that implies that he would have been using instant coffee. And I think we all know that Jesus was an AeroPress man. Oh, great point. So what that means is that we 
can also do this. We can grow in the miracle of coffee, whether it's pour over, whether it's a quick morning espresso or a French press. Guess what? We sell coffee. Yes. And you can order it directly from our website. That's highline.network forward slash shop. I think the point about like essentials and non-essentials is really fascinating because like I think that we've seen a growth, at least I've seen growth in the last 10 years uh, with people just identifying with Jesus. Like uh, I just saw an old friend uh, post on Facebook the other day about like, I just want to be like Jesus. And I I posted like a, what I thought was a pretty thoughtful comment about like, that's interesting to think about. Like we should like deeply consider what that actually means because like Jesus did things that he did not call us to do. Like we are not going to be deeply criticized by the religious establishment, every single one of us and crucified and resurrected and ascending. We're not going to do that. And Jesus isn't calling any of his followers to do that. But there's this like emphasis in modern, I don't know what to call it, but like I get for lack of a better definition, modern Christianity in just quote unquote following Jesus or being like Jesus. When it's often not being paired with Jesus talking about loving your neighbor. Some people might, but like most people don't just define following Jesus as that, which I think is interesting. Mm. So even like with the centering around Jesus, it's often ambiguous and like nebulously defined. Like if you're going to agree that Jesus is the essential, like even that gets kind of murky sometimes. Yeah. And also, Oh, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. And also, like, even if you agree that Jesus is at the center, like, if you do think that other Christians are following Jesus, like, then what is preventing you from all going to the same church? Like, if you truly believe that just following Jesus is what it's about, and you believe other Christians are following Jesus, mm. why, why do you maintain the denominational lines? Because I like my potato salad with salt. Preference? Is it that? I mean, like... <laughs> maybe even in even in like styles of worship service oh yeah are major factors for people so emily what were you gonna say about was gonna say and speaking about who jesus is people might view jesus differently so i came across this actually on facebook a friend of mine had shared this and i want your because it actually ties in nicely i think with the idea of jesus being at the center okay Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to appear inclusive, tolerant, and accepting. He ate with them to call them to a changed and fruitful life, to die to self and to live for him. Hmm. His call is transformation of life, not affirmation of identity. Ah. Uh, and I wonder, like... Why not both? Why not both? Exactly! Like, why do we have this idea of Jesus and we automatically put Jesus as a, it has to be one or the other? Like that, that post, when they shared it, like it triggered something in me. And I was like, I need to comment on this, but I'm, I need to get my thoughts wrapped around it first. And I think this episode, like this topic is perfect for that because Jesus, something that is so, I want to say basic, but not basic. Like it's, it. no, I mean, Jesus should be basic to understand, like the idea of who we are called to, to follow and to be like Jesus, right? We are called to be compassionate and merciful and justice oriented and to love our neighbor like we should all agree on that but for some reason there are parts of that that we don't even though we all say we want to be like jesus it's like but jesus says like to love your neighbor but you don't want to do that and like you have a hard time with that yeah but jesus it's just like why why do we struggle with that like why can't Jesus do both? Well, because you have that Jesus or you have Mark Driscoll's like ripped bod man Jesus that's like lopping off heads in Revelation, right? Right. Like. Or you have the King James Jesus where they say and speak thou, thought thy and wear the robes and the sandals. And like, I think that's what I love about that book, Imaginary Jesus by Matt Michelados is perfect because it's his experience of coming to terms with who Jesus is and it's written in a way that totally captures, you know, oh, here's the apostle Paul, right? And Paul tells him, oh, that's not really Jesus, like this guy you're hanging out with. And it's written in a way that's funny, but it's supposed to show you like, who is Jesus to you? Do you see Jesus as a guy who wears robes and sandals all the time and walks on water and has 
you know, blonde hair, blue eyes? Or do you see Jesus in this other way? Because how you see Jesus totally impacts how you interact as a Christian. And if we can't agree who Jesus Mm. is, then it makes sense that we have all these splits. (laughs) Especially, man, especially I'm still thinking about this essentials language because I'm thinking about the. I honestly don't know who to attribute it to, so I won't even try, but the quote in essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. I don't know. It sounds Calvin-y, but I have no idea. Uh, yeah. I really, again, I really don't know, but I've heard it. I'm going to look it up. Power of the internet. That's so, it, it, that's even weird. That even feels, <laughs> I'm struggling with even the, the concept of the essentials right now because- or at least like trying to find unity in that because like even that requires unity on what the essentials are before you find unity with them as the foundation. You know, like Josh, this is not what this episode is about, but Josh on Twitter a while ago, you had a couple uh banger tweets about the resurrection. And I remember f- having a few moments of being like, uh, careful, you know, like... <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I even felt uneasy with it because I'm like, I think this is considered pretty essential to Christianity. Right. Right. Which was the, what a lot of your replies turned into. So uh, to answer the question of yeah. who said the quote first, um, it has it's it's unclear. It has been attributed to Augustine Luther and German Lutheran theologian Raboot. I'm going to mispronounce this. Rupertus. Meldinius. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, never heard of him. So thanks for um, that. Obviously not essential. Uh <laughs> I mean, I feel like it goes back to what Emily was saying about like if you disagree about the essentials, like if some people see issue A as essential and other people see it as non-essential, then like you're in an impasse. Like that's what's happening with the with the UMC GMC split right now, right? Impasse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or even if they don't see it as like an essential part of the Christian faith. They see it as an essential issue. And I feel like that, that begets another type of impasse, like the difference between like issues to care about as a Christian versus like, like epistemological belief statements. Yeah. I remember a couple years ago in Billings. Um, I, I don't know if either of you would have remembered this. Cause I don't think either of you were involved in youth ministry in Billings at the time, but there was a, There was kind of a growth in like youth group culture in Billings doing a lot of like cross promotion, for lack of a better term. Like uh, one guy from a bigger church in Billings had held like a big youth group rally. And he he was like so good at networking and like knowing the youth pastors in town where he was like, we're going to get together and hold like one big youth night for all of the churches in Billings, like under one common umbrella. Whoa. And at the time, I remember thinking like, rad super into that like what like a powerful demonstration of like we can be from different churches we can believe slightly different things but we're all christians we're all following jesus and he did it one year and i think he tried to do it another year and uh and then he moved and it, it didn't happen again partly because he was like the main vision for it right um but also like i think it's a great example of like people very quickly fall back to their own smaller in-groups in Christianity. Like whether that's like theological camp or church community. It could just be partly because of the size and like the social element. And I think that's important. But also, I think that people join a lot of those things in the name of unity with the mm, conscious and unconscious idea that you will eventually convince someone to see things your way. Like, Mm. for instance... (laughs) I bet there were youth pastors at that rally that were like, yeah, divorce, totally not cool. And I know for sure there's like youth pastors in here that are like raising up kids to believe that it's okay that their parents got divorced. And uh, I'd much rather they have a biblical view of divorce. Mm. And I think that that's usually like an unconscious motivation, but I think people believe that in the name of unity. Mm. And But then it like kind of feels self-defeating to me for people to believe in unity. Like if your only view and end goal for unity is everyone believing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about unity, which like when we use the word unity, which does it feel more like homogenous 
or diverse? Because like everyone believing the same thing, everyone looking the same way, that's homogenous. Yeah. But then something about unity, like within diversity, though, I think that's what we're talking about. At least that's what I hope we're talking about. Um, that's, what it, that's what it sounds like. But I think that the amount of people who want those diverse opinions, I think that that's pretty small. Like a minority opinion. Yeah. Mm. Because either you view certain theologies as harmful and therefore you don't want to exist with them, or you just view them as wrong. And it's not even an option in your mind to exist in the same community as those ideas. I think it's rare to encounter communities where even just like diverse views on non-essentials, quote unquote, are encouraged. Mm. Mm. Like, what would you define as a non-essential, like baptism and communion and sacraments and canon, I guess? How I would personally define essential or? Yeah. Or, or like even traditionally viewed as essential or non-essential. Yeah, well, I mean, resurrection feels pretty big. Yeah, I mean, life and death of Jesus, I guess. That's hard, now that you're asking me it directly. What do you think, Emily? Well, I guess it would maybe... I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling to say if it's in the Bible, because there are things that are in the Bible that... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, you know, partially what leads to splits also. Um. I guess it would be like what's found in doctrine, like in creeds and things like like those. Mm. The creeds basically okay. lay out the essentials for you, <laughs> sure. you know, and then everything else is kind of added extra. So, you know, if I go off the Apostles Creed, you know, I believe in God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, you know, who was born of Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and buried, and on the third day rose again, and he'll come to judge the living and the dead, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and life and resurrection. Like, that, that is essential. <laughs> and everything else is for the person to individually work on and work through. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, those creeds, the, they came up with it for churches to come to basically lay out, here's what it is, here's what's essential. <laughs> Do you personally have any spots in that Apostles' Creed that you are iffy on or doubting? Or trusting while doubting, to reference last I, episode? <laughs> ah, I mean, there are parts of it that I question. Um, Virgin birth is still hard for me. Virgin birth is still hard, but I don't think it's, be, I, for me, I interpret that as Jesus was born of, like, of Mary. Like, yes, whether or not she was truly a virgin, I, I frankly don't care about that. But to know that he came from Mary, who, like, he didn't come from Sarah, like person. he didn't come sure. from yeah. some other one, like, this was who Jesus's mother was. Mm -hmm. It's speaking to the character of Jesus, you know, the fact that he suffered under Pontius Pilate and even the, you know, the descended to the dead part is also kind of weird. Cause I don't remember that in the gospels. I mean, he did die. Sure. And they're just using the <laughs> phrase descended to the, cause like, yeah, I mean like I, I have the images of those icons in mind of like him actually in like a mm -hmm. afterlife sheol, right? Like yeah. pulling Adam and Eve out by the hand. Yeah. And like great metaphor for sure. Yeah, I think descended to dead, it, you died. <laughs> okay. And then rose again. Okay. And again, that's like the language of that time. And so if we were to transcribe oh, yeah. the Apostles' Creed, the words, you know, we might tweak it a bit, but like the content does not change for me at all. Hmm. But even, okay, so like even with that example, like I've heard people interpret that line in the Creed as, we could see that as Jesus coming to earth, like Jesus descended. Sure. Into a place that was not heaven on earth, that heaven would come. And like makes it like much more like about earth now than it is like the, the past people who have died that Jesus may or may not have had contact with during mm -hmm. his death. Yeah. According to like some early tradition. I can get on board with and that. And I feel like that's just a good example of like, as much as the 
creeds can kind of thread together the meta narrative of the gospel, kind of going back to the last episode, like we can still kind of debate the language and like what it's getting at even in that summary. Yes. Like it's it's I think it's hard for Christians to agree on like what the essentials are. And I think that's why so many, especially I think really only Protestant churches often have like what we believe statements that usually aren't creeds. <laughs> like they just like usually kind of write it out themselves. Right. And possibly to their credit, they tend to be fairly clear about where they land on certain stances. But so, but then we're saying that it's, I don't know, like if we are wanting unity, maybe we should go back to the creeds and like <laughs> maybe try to wrestle with, you know, what, what is this trying to say? And the creed, like the, I think the creeds are a great example of here's a line and we may have some different understandings of what the line is but again the like the line itself doesn't change like you still believe in it whatever that is so like josh like josh what you your understanding of that line i'm totally on board with it like i'm okay with the idea of that's what that means but the fact that it's still there in putting out there what it is trying to say who jesus is like that is what is important to me and if we're going to get into the nitty gritty and try to tear it apart and not then come and try to have an understanding, then we're, we're never going to have a church unified ever. Mm. So at the risk of sounding very cheesy and also biblical, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about the way our bodies grow. I'm thinking about how like one cell becomes two, two cells become four. And like specialization happens the further on in the process of the development in those cells, right? So like sure. that one cell does one thing, it replicates and it divides. But as that division happens, they specialize into now I have like skin cells and I have intestine cells and those are different and I have feet and I have hands and like... So at the risk of being incredibly cheesy, like uh, body of Christ or whatever, mm-hmm. is it possible yeah. that the vision of like a quote unquote united church does actually include the idea of denominations who specialize in different things? I mean, like to, for the Methodists, like my opinion of Methodism, my entire life has been, they're really good at getting shit done. Like hosting soup kitchens and serving meals to kids in the summertime who rely on meals during the school time. Like, and that denomination can be good at that. And my denomination can be good at, you know, something else, Mm. whether that be like advocacy in the justice, in the courts, in the court system in your city or in your state, you know, like, I don't know, like, is there room for unity within the diversity because the denominations essentially represent the specialization of what is necessary for the, like the meta body of Christ. I love that. I love that. But I wonder, like, but there's what, also cancers at one point. Yeah. Like at one point, is it enough? Like, shouldn't we have enough denominations like <laughs> to, to meet all those needs and yeah. to have all those gifts? And if not, then we're really doing a bad job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's tough for sure. I mean, cancer's whole thing is that it multiplies to the detriment of its host, right? Just hogging all the resources. But I think there's room for that even in the metaphor of being like white supremacy is a cancer on Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I think it has arguably grown out of Christianity in some ways. But nevertheless, like the healthy tissue right? Or the healthy body recognizes it as such. Well, if we're going to continue with that metaphor in that, you know, language, it's, you know, the eye does not say to the foot, you're not important. And so like denominations then need to be careful and to say, yeah, you matter. Like we may not agree. You know, you do serve a, a different purpose and function than, than I, you know, the, the Methodist church is different than the global, you know, the United Methodist church is different than the global Methodist church or the Catholic church or the Lutheran church, but we need to be mindful in saying you matter. I may be the eyeball and you may be the foot and that's okay. Like we're still serving our purpose. 
Mm. How do you view? I I like the charitable take, and I'm I'm very here for it. Um, because I I think it takes a lot of self work to not judge other people's spiritual journeys, even if you disagree with some of their ideas and conclusions. And I would be really curious how each of you would apply that kind of like functional, like I'm the hands, you are the feet take analogy to denominations, uh, to groups whose views you view as harmful or reductive or incomplete or just straight up false. Cause I think that the, I think a really easy thing to do with, church splits or denominational lines is just to finger point and say, I believe they're wrong. Or I I do think very few people will say like they're not Christians anymore uh, unless it's like a fringe group or um, a group that like most Christians view as not a part of the Christian umbrella, like Latter-day Saints, for example, which not everyone is up with that opinion. But I think it's easier to even just finger point and say like, you're wrong about that issue. And like, there's not room for your theology. Like, I'm just not even going to discuss that with you. Hmm. Yeah, I think out of my experience, having been reformed and now no longer reformed, I (laughs) re-reformed. Unreformed. Unreformed. Deformed? Deformed. (gasps) I like that. Hashtag deformed theology. (laughs) De-reformed. Yeah, whatever that is. Um, I think while... I have been convinced in these uh, later years of mine that the that church and that like faith and expression is a lot more about community than I originally gave it credit for, because I think Reformed theology tends to be very like heavily individualistic in its roots, given where it came from in Germany and given the way it kind of exploded across America and kind of married itself to like a rugged individualism type of like Puritan kind of stuff. But, uh, I think what, so like while, while I hold some of those theologies as, as harmful and I just think they're wrong, I think for me, it does still serve to remind me that there is something about individualism to the journey and it's not all communal or collectivist, I guess. And I think I, th- I have a lot of books in my house and I think the authors I own the most of are C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller. <laughs> and again, I still, I think I disagree with Tim Keller on a few things, but I also respect the hell out of him and think he is earnestly writing about and preaching and created a church in New York city that really follows through on their convictions. And I, I think like I'll say it this way, I think New York City is better for having Redeemer there. But I like I, I don't identify as reformed anymore. I think the value I see in the analogy about like the body of Christ being different is that in some ways I think that our segmentation among the denominations has created maybe more stepping stones that I think would be good for churches to acknowledge. Like Obviously, not everyone is going to follow the same path through denominations, um, but like, it's almost like a fractalization of denominations in some ways. Like, for instance, the GMC is only one step removed from the UMC, mm-hmm. and it will be significantly easier for someone from what is now the GMC to migrate back over to the UMC, where really they used to be a part of anyway. I would argue culturally, we haven't even talked about culture between denominations. I would argue culturally, it would be much, much harder and much less likely for a GMC person to jump all the way over to charismatic Pentecostalism birthed out of Costa Mesa. Like, there's just like such a cultural difference in their Christianity that, like, I think it's hard to see that kind of functionality in the denominational lines. Like, like especially if a lot of Christians are going to view other denominations as Christians, mm. even if they disagree about some of the essentials <laughs> or like what the essentials are, even if Christians can't agree about the essentials <laughs> or like the non-essentials, like can they at least agree about in all things charity? Oof. Yes. 
you know, like, ooh, you know, I don't, I don't believe that, but you know, if you're finding that you need a space where you need an emphasis like that, the Lutherans really have a large emphasis on that. Maybe you should go to a service mm-hmm. sometime. Mm-hmm. Like we, like, find me a pastor that says that on the regular. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Well, then, I mean, at that point, that's that's like an ep- economic threat to tithing and to the church income. Oh, 100%. You know, yeah, there's like, no incentive. Yeah. It gets very, that gets very twisted. Huh. Wow. Sarah, this was a fantastic question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Thank you for this. Emily, I'm glad. It felt like you, you got a little space to process what's been happening your church i'm glad you had that i did yeah Mm. thank you Mm. i think the takeaway is like part of me still wants to say like maybe it's okay that i prefer my potato salad with salt yeah maybe there are days you find you don't want salt who knows yeah or like i've had days of wanting like church unity in in the like most grand sense of that word but i feel like by the end of this i'm coming out with actually feeling very like almost thankful mm-hmm. that the choice exists, that the denomination exists in the way that Josh was just speaking to it. Like, I mean, if you want more liturgical flavor, but this kind of theology that feels right to you to build community around, like, yeah, maybe the Lutherans are better than Methodists mm-hmm. and that's okay. I think even if people mm-hmm. uh, agree that a certain group's theology from their point of view, is incomplete or incorrect or misinformed, I think they should still be thankful for those denominational lines. Like, for instance, um, I'm not trying to make any, like, value judgment about beliefs here, but, like, if you see someone who's, like, being abused in a community that's more insular, like the Amish or the the Mm. Hutterites or uh, fundamentalist Mormons, I actually just started listening to a podcast about that. Like, it is significantly easier to get them involved in a religious community that is more similar to that, like the Quakers. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like not the same community, but like very similar in a lot of ways and a lot of their yeah. religious emphasis. Right. Um, it'd be significantly easier to get them in a community like that than a mega church. Yeah, that's very true. The spice of life. There's variation for a reason. Hmm. You know where the denominational lines have completely crumbled is the Ravel discord. Yeah, that, yes. that's, that's, yeah, that feels pretty accurate. I did uh-huh. it. I did it, you guys. You did it. You did it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that community, this, I mean, this entire episode was born of a question that uh, our friend Sarah had for us. And we are still running a little, a support GoFundMe for our friend Courtney Clark. Josh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, Courtney is one of, uh, our patron members. She is a pastor down in Texas. And it's kind of cool, actually. She was, I, I didn't realize that she is kind of only like a part time pastor. Like she's only preaching. Like she's not, forgive me, Courtney, if I butcher this, but she's not like 40 hours a week pastor. She's like preaching on Sundays pastor, which I think is a really fascinating model. Um, but she, uh, in the last year or so, has had a ton of medical mysteries and they are now a lot more diagnosed and they're a lot more in quite literally reconstruction, um, like of some of her veins. Uh, but she has a really interesting, very rare type of vascular compression called nutcracker syndrome. So if you want to learn more about that, uh, the link to the GoFundMe is going to be in our show notes. Um, also, I feel like I should give a public apology. Last episode, I, I said some of you were going to hell. And I just want to say now that that is a that is a non-essential that we can disagree about. But it is my belief that if you do not give us a review, you are most likely on the path of destruction. Um, so mm. you know, I just want to put that disclaimer yeah. out there. Yeah. But we can there exist in the same podcast listing sphere. It is our belief here at Ravel that we are worth <laughs> a five star rating and a review. But if you happen to disagree, we're happy to hear <laughs> constructive criticism through that, that mode of Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I won't even go so far as to say Path of Destruction. Who knows? Who knows, really, Who knows? though? There's a Pascal's wager. If, if, you, don't, <laughs> if you don't leave a review, 
<laughs> you might as well play it safe and leave us a review. <laughs> Period. Period. Just, yep. Just, just do it. Just do it. Oh, and with that, Emily, with the closer, what do you got for us today? You know, Wesley had said that the church that he wanted to reform ended up being the Methodist church. He did not intend to create a denomination, uh, but maybe Wesley is grateful now. Now that we have variations in beliefs and various places of worship and worship styles, we are able to express ourselves and to grow in community and as individuals and come to terms with what we believe. And if you like a little salt in your potato salad, I think you're a Methodist, more specifically a United Methodist. Hey gang, Keller Paulson here. I know what you're thinking. What's going on? Who is this guy? Am I right? Well, I'm the host of Keller's Couch. Now, Keller's Couch is an interview podcast where I, Keller Paulson, interview people I find interesting that are doing cool things in the community. But it's not just that. My friends at Slapstick Improv and myself, we also do some improv comedy and sketch comedy every other episode. So, if this tickles your fancy, why don't you scoot on down? Pop a squat on Keller's couch. Bye. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.